Hi everyone, it's James here from Pro Tools Expert, back with a Pro Tools Expert podcast extra with a difference. This time someone who I've only met the once, but I've listened to a great many times. And that is on the other end of a Skype connection, all the way from Lafayette, California, Mr. Matt Boudreau, better known as the host of Working Class Audio. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, James. How are you? I am very well. End of my day, start of yours. Um, thanks for um, taking the time out to have a chat. Um, we met, albeit way too briefly, because of conflicting schedules and the the madness that was NAM 2018 uh, via mutual friend uh, and friend of, I suspect, friend of your podcast and friend of our blog, Mr. Steve Genowick. Yes, sir. Great, great man, Steve. In fact, yes, we managed to also find the quietest bar at Nam as well. Um, so, tell us a little bit about Matt. How you got started? Uh, your road into this craziness that is pro audio and music and stuff. Sure, my uh, road started. Uh, a, a, I grew up in southern New Mexico. Moved out to San Francisco in 1988 with a group of guys I was in a band with, uh, with the hopes of achieving uh, the great, um, the the great goal of getting a record deal, which all of our friends told us was impossible, and a one in a million chance. And within three years of moving to San Francisco, uh, my bandmates and I had a record deal, and we went through that, meaning that we made the record, we um, got dropped. Uh, I quit the band and I got another record deal with another band. Uh, after uh, a couple rounds of being in bands and doing record deals and seeing how records were made on a high level, meaning on an expensive level in the days where you had six figure budgets. Oh, budgets. I, uh, yeah, I remember those. <laughs> oh, it was, it was, it was insane how much money was being spent on these records. And, um, after, you know, going a couple rounds with that, I had a band approach me around 1994-ish, and they said, uh, could you produce our record? And I knew what that meant. I knew the process. I understood it. And I had already kind of been dipping my toes into recording. So I did that and found the joy that I got from seeing their record in a record store and hearing their music on college radio gave me much more of a thrill than being a drummer in a band and trying to be a rock star. And that's when I subconsciously made the decision to not play drums really much anymore, especially after the loss of the second record deal. And uh, from there, I, I haven't looked back. And I've been through you know, a few studios and uh, many, many, many years of making records that nobody hears <laughs> that aren't really tracked by very well by all music uh, with their crappy uh, tracking system of records. And um, yeah, I just continue to, to plow, plow forward and uh, diversify. I've had a, a few ass-kicking experiences, which have caused me to create my podcast, Working Class Audio, as well as uh, to just try a, a combination of things to make a living. So making records, doing a podcast, and doing some uh, software QA work for, uh, for Universal Audio. We love Universal Audio, but let's let's not go down that road of um, um, a UA appreciation just yet. Plenty of time for that. Um, <laughs> um, so, so it's almost like we're kindred kindred spirits. I mean, because I'm also a drummer. Um, having recently 
um, fallen off the band bandwagon so much. How much do you find that actually being coming from the performance side of the glass to the the technical, the engineer, the producer, the mixer side of the glass helped? I think it helped tremendously because I understood what the people on the other side of the glass, on the performance side of the glass, what they were experiencing and what they needed. That didn't necessarily make me an expert in delivering that, I learned. Uh, I definitely have had a few stumbling blocks with trying to make sure that I uh, make people feel comfortable. And sometimes I've, I've had a couple, you know, trip-ups in the past, meaning, you know, I've made a client cry or uh, whatever. You know, I think there's a few of us that have done that. But uh, but it definitely helped. It definitely uh, helped understand a little bit of the uh, the psychology of of what a, a person in a band performing goes through and what they need. So... So with that in mind, and obviously you're a, you're a, like the rest of us, you're a, you're a techie and a, and a guy who loves to get his hands dirty on the, at the coal face of recording and mixing and stuff. Um, what was it that inspired you to start Working Class Audio, which, let's face it, does go down a very different route to certainly to Pro Tools Expert and a lot of the other kind of um, music, high-tech blogs, podcasts and things that are out there? Because you do go down you know, a much more personal track. Um, it directly relates to my own personal experience. And that is, is, um, I had, uh, been through a couple studios and got an opportunity in, oh, I think that was uh, 2007. Yeah. About 2007, I got an opportunity to take over a, uh, Bill Putnam room, which was wow. traditionally known in San Francisco studio lore as coast recorders. And it had been through different names, but essentially it was 1340 Mission Street between 9th and 10th in San Francisco. And it was a room that originally belonged to Mercury Records, I believe. And Bill Putnam came in and took it over and um, made it what, it what it was for many years, which was a fantastic room. And I got an opportunity to take over that room with uh, a buddy of mine in the front of the building, taking over the other studios as mastering rooms. Mm -hmm. And it was in that experience in 2007 where the U.S. economy just took uh, a big uh, nosedive. And I chose just, uh, I just happened to pick a time in uh, economic history in the United States that was just the worst time to open a studio. And as a result, um, I spent an enormous amount of money of my own with no real great business experience to back what I was doing or the methods I was using. And it caused a, a great amount of tension in my home, uh, in my home life. I came very close to, uh, uh, getting a divorce and, uh, with two kids in, you know, having had two kids, I was, dreadfully scared of doing that. And so I just really had to come to the conclusion that I needed to get out. And uh, it was a tough thing. You know, I had to make sure that I was doing the right things at home to make sure that I saved my marriage, which I did. And uh, my wife and I definitely worked things out. And um, I kind of took the blinders off of what I was doing as a studio owner. And I also had to come to my studio partner and say, hey, man, I got to get out. 
and I know I signed the lease, but I need your help. And how can we work this out? And he uh, graciously said, all right, let's figure it out. Let's do it. And we got somebody else in to take over and I got off the lease and I'm happily married today, I can say, and uh, a recovering studio owner. <laughs> and that experience of kind of getting my ass kicked, I basically, I, I came home and I was like, how does this work? How do people survive? You know, how do people make money doing this? I'm tired of struggling. I need questions answered. And I started a blog, which was working class audio and quickly found that I didn't really enjoy writing all that much. And I thought, God, I, sh I wish I could just do this in an audio format. And then I was like, oh, I'll make a podcast. And so I started doing that. And that's how working class audio came about was just through personal experience of just trying to, you know, become a rock star in the world of studios, but it just didn't happen. So I have to admit, uh, once again, I have to thank Steve Jenowick for my introduction to work, the Working Class Audio site and the Working Class Audio podcast. I'm fairly late to this whole podcast thing, um, even though I've been doing it, the Project Expert one, you know, the Project Expert thing now since 2012, scarily. Um, but yeah, um, WCA was one of the... Prop podcast that steve said you should check these guys out this guy out um uh, and and here we are chatting which is really cool and so I, I reached out to steve at pre-nam and said you know matt don't you any chance of hooking us up because i'd really like to meet him you know hit, meet the person that i've been listening to for for years <laughs> it is interesting it, yeah well and it's working class audio has strangely enough opened up a lot of doors that otherwise i don't think would have opened or they would have opened much later in life. And uh, I think my story is not unique. I think there's a lot of audio professionals who struggle and who have struggled. And uh, I think that personal side of it that, that I take and that um, kind of not, not gear focused side of it um, really resonates with a lot of people, strangely enough. And I think uh, I've had people who don't do audio professionally become fans of the show as a result which is kind of odd in a way that that's cool though because I'd, I'd say even if you're not an audio an audio fan a high-tech audio person i think the the themes resonate through you know modern life there is no such thing these days as a job for life i think those days are long gone um i suspect like again like myself you would probably describe yourself as having a portfolio career how much how much of your let's not go down the money route because that's kind of ugh, but how much of your time would you say you spend doing wca stuff versus production and mix work and i i, I know you do mixing and mastering from your home studio we'll talk about that in a minute um but how how would you say that the time split is i'd like to think it's a third but <laughs> out of the three things that i do i th like to think it's a third of uh of my time um, it's, it's difficult to say, uh, because sometimes I dig deep into, you know, one week I'll do like four interviews back to back and then I don't have any interviews for four weeks and, uh, I can just slowly push, you know, once a week, push the podcast out and, and do the, uh, all the things that come with doing the podcast. Um, that said, there are, there are weeks where I've forgotten, oh, I, don't have an interview this week. I've kind of been focusing on mixing this record or mm -hmm. 
doing my other, you know, uh, things that I do to diversify. And, um, as a result, I, you know, it's Friday and I start to panic and go, I need to get an interview done before Monday and I have to do a show. Plus I have to hang out with my family and do a bunch of errands that I have yet to do because I've been so fixated on mixing a record for, you know, the last five days in a row. Are you quite good at um, the the whole work-life balance? I know it's a, a phrase that you use a lot, but the whole kind of, this is the time I work, this is the time I stop. Are you quite good at that? Or I'm not quite good at it. I'm still, it's, it's still a work in progress. And um, I'm always, I'm constantly trying to look at how I do things and the systems of doing things, whether it's scheduling or, you know, making time to spend with my kids. And I'm always looking at that going, how can I do this better? What's the most efficient way to get all my work done so I can spend leisurely time with my kids just goofing about, watching TV, going to the movies. You know, uh, we just, over the weekend, we, um, I took them, uh, paintball, um, to, to a paintball park, you know, with paintball guns. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, they're boys and how many bruises do you have? Oh, I, I actually don't have any because I got away with not (laughs) having to get in the ring. I just set them about and say, okay, go, I'll be in the car on my laptop. Uh, (laughs) waiting for you to come out and get food and refills so but i'm i'm you know i'll I'll get in the ring next time yeah yeah (laughs) but they 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 tell me yeah it hurts when you get hit it does it really does (laughs) uh way too many stag do's and um what what are they usually called uh corporate bonding sessions (laughs) oh in in inverted commas (laughs) um so again like me you work from home don't you primarily I do, yeah. I have completely centered my whole wor- world around my home. Is your studio in your house, or do you have like an outbuilding? Or it is. Um, we uh, I took over a spare bedroom, and it's about a I don't know how many uh, meters this would be, but it's a hundred and square feet U.S. You know, thinking in U.S. terms, uh, not very big, but. You know, big enough for me and a, and a couple of clients to sit in here and yeah. listen to mixes and make decisions. And say, if you're getting good translation, that's kind of what matters. Uh, you know, I think I am because uh, I was just looking over the last round of uh, mixing notes for a record I'm I'm working on, and a lot of the comments were um, corrections on the spelling of the song. Oh, that, that never never a major problem I found. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, there was a couple like, you know, we might want to hear a wee tad bass on this song and this song is, you've spelled this wrong and this one's actually called this and this, this has a new title. So most of the corrections had to do with spelling errors and or changes of, of, uh, song title. You know, not stuff that's, um, directly related to, um, the audio quality output of said room. No, no, I have been really, really uh, lucky, uh, and well, lucky and also just really paying attention to what's going on in my room. I I feel like things are translating so well at this point in time that I can't think of mixing in any other place. But obviously you're, you're, um, I'm guessing your kids are of a school age or. Yeah. Yeah. My boys are nine and 12. Okay. So you do at least have that time between, uh, not knowing the American system, say between eight and four three four o'clock when they're out of the house and it's relatively quiet 
Yeah, yeah. Everybody's at school by 8.30. So from really 8.30 till about about 2.30, I can dig in deep and really get a lot of work done. But you're not going to get, Dad. When are you going to be done? Are you done yet? How many times are you going to listen to that song? Can we make noise yet? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I I rarely do overdubs at my house, although I have the ability to do so and occasionally will do it. But the overdubs usually take place when everybody's gone. My wife works a corporate job outside of the house. So it's me and the dog and that's it. The, so, snor- the snoring dog, I seem to the remember. The snoring dog, which I had to shut the door because I knew he would snore. And I was like, oh, James is totally going to get offended if I have the snoring bulldog in here. It's quite funny. I've just done a series of videos, again, with Steve. And in the background are his two dogs sort of tapping around and snoring and snuffling and stuff. So I think it makes it, actually. <laughs> We're doing this on camera because, we, hey, we can. This is 2018. Um, and I can see that your studio is actually incredibly tidy. And you can probably tell behind me, mine isn't at the moment for a very good reason. It's because at the moment I'm a complete, I'm wading my way through gear that's on loan and for reviews and stuff. Um, how 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 are you with the whole gear lust or gas or? Because again, are you someone who practices practices what you preach, or do you like me suffer very badly and look at shiny things and go, ooh, yeah. Well, let's talk about that. I'm actually pretty good at it now. I'm really getting great at it as I think probably as as a result of getting older and looking at retirement savings and looking at, you know, debt and how I really am ready to be completely done with it. And also just Inspiration from others, um, inspiration from people I've talked to. Obviously, I've talked to a ton of people, and as a result, each one of those interviews I do, a little bit of that person's personality and the things that uh, I think appeal to me uh, affect me in a positive way. I, you know, I can name names, but I mean, there's definitely people who have influenced me greatly in terms of just getting it down to the basics and not worrying about what else is out there all the time. And I have to admit, one of the things that I do to pass time, uh, I, I used to have, I took Facebook off my phone, spend way too much time on Facebook. So I took it off the phone that helped. The next hurdle to cross is to take reverb.com off my phone. (laughs) And then the other, you know, uh, just from a, you know, speaking of gear lust, you know, um, I, I love jewels dearly at gear sluts, but you know, I got to stay off gear sluts, uh, classifieds because those two things, reverb.com and, and gear sluts classifieds just, it kills me. Cause then I start seeing stuff and rationalizing and eBay, uh, eBay is my weakness. I will admit. <laughs> and, oh, and, uh, and Larkin's list. I don't know if you have that in the States, but, um, Larkin's I've never list heard is, of that is, um, um, it's another kind of um, vintage high-tech audio type site. Um, yeah. Oh, just, just dribble. You know, sorry. <laughs> I'll, I'll, calm <laughs> down. I'll calm down. Hang on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's great. And I, I think what I've learned, though, is that I like to try stuff. I don't always like to buy it and own it for the long term. It's fascinating to, to get something and hold it and go, oh, that's really cool. But that's not going to work for my workflow. So along along with um, 
along with those words of wisdom, what are some of the other things you've learned or that you that you've picked up and tried to use again in in said workflow from talking to? I mean, you've pretty much talked to everyone. No, uh, no, there's a lot of people I haven't talked to. But cer- certainly, you've you've spoken to a lot of what I would call the the celebrity mix engineers, the the the, the mix of the masters list, that kind of group of guys. Um, obviously, you're speaking to a lot of people who are who are like ourselves at the coalface doing this on a daily, weekly, hourly basis. Yeah. But what are some of the things you've really picked up from from well, any and all the people you've spoken to? I think the the greatest influence on me uh, from everybody has been uh, to diversify, to have multiple income streams because you may be doing really, really great as a mix engineer or a mastering engineer. And you think that it's never going to dry up, but changes in habits out there in the world, changes in technology will ultimately affect what we do uh, one way or the other. So it's wise to be prepared. So how I prepare is I don't put all my eggs in one basket, so to speak. I get a little income from each of these different things and always be on the lookout for other ways to bring in income streams, you know, and not be too proud to, you know, to do an audio task that, you know, I mean, let's face it, in a fantasy world, I I would be uh, a rock star mix engineer like, you know, CLA or any, name any celebrity yeah. engineer, but I'm not. And I get that. And while that is great to have as a goal along the way, I've learned that if you keep your home life really solid, it's a lot easier to keep your business audio life solid. So in order to do that, I make sure that I have income to make sure the bills are getting paid and we're not all stressing out, you know, and obviously my wife works and and that is a bonus. So, Actually, it's it's beyond a bonus. She works a corporate job that's got a regular paycheck. It's very, you know, day-to-day, same, you know, very predictable. And so I try not to be too predictable by having those different income streams and making sure that I make decisions in my day-to-day life that don't affect my home life. Yeah, I think, I think again, that comes down to this whole, I don't think I coined it. I'd love to say I did. The whole um, portfolio career. I think if you said to me 20 years ago, I'd be um, working on a a website as quote-unquote, and it always makes me laugh whenever I get a, a pass for a show that says press or journalist. If you'd said to any of my um, English teachers when I was at high school that I would be making a living writing stuff, they would have probably laughed laughed me out of high school. Or that I'd be, you know, if you said to me 10 years ago that I'd be making videos prolifically for a living i'd have gone no 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 audio guy drummer you know i I was quite happy playing with mixers and stuff on stage but had no real um at the time ambition i suppose to get into this side of things and yet you know um diversification as it is and all the all the other things we do to turn a coin i think it's yeah i think it's interesting the way the way that actually people's careers do duck dive weave change i know my certainly has i mean would you i don't know if you'll agree with me on this but if you look at some of the celebrity 
folks, while they still make, you know, uh, a, a good amount of pay to do what they do, there's a lot of diversification that's evident to me by, you know, doing mix with the masters, doing pure mix, any of the educational arms of any of this that a lot of these celebrity folks are participating in. To me, that is income diversification uh, in every sense of the word. Uh, it's just, it's not very evident because it just seems like, oh, this person is doing this cool extra thing. But in reality, they're making some money from it. They're not getting rich from it, but they're making some extra money. And those cool extra things are very time hungry. Um, you know, it, it's great that so and you know, Celebrity X is doing a plug-in with uh, Waves Springs to mind because they do, they have a lot of those kind of celebrity plugins. But those yeah. things take time. They don't just go, oh, here's an idea for a thing, and, and magically the guys at Waves come up with it. There's a lot of toing and throwing and. Um, and work that goes into you know having your name on a plugin it's not just um let's do this oh here it is it's it's way more involved than that um let's let's jump on the mix with the masters thing because once again we are both mix with the masters alumni alumni alumnuses i'm not sure which um <laughs> <laughs> yours but yours was more recent wasn't it you were this last summer yeah, last this last summer, August 2017, um, I went and did uh, the seminar with Chad Blake. Chad is on the list of Mix with the Masters courses I would love to do. Yeah, uh, I was told that he is one of the most popular ones and that inevitably he sells out every time and that there is always a waiting list. I, see, I like um, the way that Victor and the team at Mix of the Masters have put it together. You don't just get on, you apply. And I like that. I like the fact that, you know, you have to be at a certain level to yeah. get on a course. So at least you know then you're going to be um, amongst guys and girls of a, of a similar level. However, for me, I don't know how you felt, but for me, I was like, whoa. You know, I'm I'm... I learned as much from the other guys on the course as I did from Alan Steve. I completely had the same experience. The The people that I met there, I think had an equal impact on me as did Chad, because not only were they insanely talented, um, they just, I, there, there were no, um, there were no women. So, uh, at the, at my particular thing, so I'll just say it was a brotherhood type deal. Um, so it, the, the, like I say, those people really, really, um, to this day, when I see their posts and I, anytime they say, Oh, can you, can you guys check this out? I jump at the chance. Cause I'm curious. Cause, uh, it definitely challenged me, um, when I heard their stuff, I was like, man, you cannot be half ass here. You have to, you have to be good. But I love that feeling. I love it in a band or in a, uh, in a group like that where you're going, Whoa, I need to raise my game. I need to nail it. And then you find out with a, a glass of wine and a beer in your hand later on, not necessarily in the same hand, um, <laughs> that they're thinking the same. They're all going, well, you know, we've really got, we're listening to all this other music and they're all thinking we need to bring our A game. That is where the bar gets seriously elevated. Well, and I always talk about this on Working Class Audio is that I always feel like I'm a, I'm a terrible 
uh, I, I'm a, I'm a late bloomer is what is my point. And all the guys there were younger than me. Uh, I was the oldest guy there actually. And Chad, I think was, you know, then had a few years on me. So there was a sense of kind of an, Oh shit kind of sense. Like, wow, these guys are good. They're younger. They can be, uh, they're somewhat faster in some respects. And so it's good. If you're, there's two types of people. uh, And one type would be like, Oh, I can't do this. These guys, I can't keep up. And then there's the person that says, not only am I going to keep up, I'm going to get better at it. And I'm going to, and I'm going to try to be as good, if not better than my comrades here. And I'm that type of person. I have come home since then and it's inspired me in, in very much as did the early days of the tape op conference, uh, long ago when I first encountered that, that also kicked my ass. So this, this was a similar thing. Yeah. There's a couple, there's a couple of things I keep hearing, um, mentioned, uh, the tape op conference is one of them. There's a few other, um, is it the, it's either called the pot luck audio conference yeah. That being this side of the pond, um, well, to be honest, Nam is my my one excuse a year to get to California and, and spend some time, you know, hanging out with friends and colleagues and industry guys, but also sort of making a few phone calls and doing the whole studio tours thing and trying to make that, that week in January, quite frankly. Um weather was fantastic this year to escape oh, to awesome. to escape minus two degrees celsius here for a week was really quite pleasant and i don't want to rub that in too much just in case my wife listens to the podcast but but yeah the idea of walking around in a short sleeve shirt for a week is really quite appealing well so the just in a a briefly the tape op conference was uh, a creation of craig schumacher who is a producer and engineer in tucson arizona he works on calexico records devochka nico case and uh he teamed up with um larry and john from tape op to create this conference and it went on for a number of years and eventually larry and john pulled out and craig wanted to continue but he he changed the name to the Potluck Audio Conference, and it continued for a couple of years in Tucson, Arizona. And um, you know, it was a, a very small uh, get together with a lot of like minded folks who would go to panels and do workshops, and it was very inspiring. And you were kind of uh, at the end in the last couple incarnations, it was like all in one hotel, kind of out in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. you had to drive like 20, 30 minutes to get to town. And so everybody just kind of hung out at the hotel. And so there was a lot of interaction and that, that conference of the two iterations of it, uh, were directly responsible for a large number of people I know to this day. Uh, and, and as a result have opened up many doors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of it's one of those things. I really should try and get out to um, Summer Nam, which I think is going to be Nashville this year. Yep. I, th- I think it was this past year, right? So that means it could be New York. I'm not, I don't, I'm not entirely sure how it works, but I know there's also AES, which again is something I don't personally cover. Just through you know the number of opportunities to get to the states in the year would be 
Hmm. Any excuse, quite frankly, because a lot of my industry buddies are, are that side of the world. Um, let's get on to one of my favourite subjects, and something I know you don't cover that much on WCA, which is toys yeah. and gear and stuff. Yeah. What's what's the what's the piece of gear that you couldn't live, stroke, work without? <sighs> Tricky, huh? My monitors, really. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I'm an old dog in that I use Yamaha NS10M Studios, um, and I have a pair of Klein and Hummel O300s. Um, which, you know, to our audiences are, um, you know, basically now Neumann mm-hmm. O310s, uh, since Sennheiser who owns Neumann took over and bought Klein and Hummel. Uh, those are the things I really can't live without. I, I gotta say, you know, uh, I giving universal audio, the love that we all tend to give UA. um, I have an Apollo and I have a couple satellites, I got to say, those make mixing in the box a, a, a great joy. Um, and the things that help, uh, the Avid Artist Mix, I'm back mixing in Pro Tools after mixing on Studio One for uh, going at that for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, but kind of returning to Pro Tools for the mixing side of things, the mastering side of things, Studio One is is got a, you know, the the mastering side of that not the DAW part of it, but the mastering end of it is a really powerful tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, the soft tube console one, man, oh, such a, such a joy to just be able to reach out and, and work with that from a tactile perspective. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, monitors really do it for me. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think so you, you've hit the nail on the head. It's all about the, that transducer. If you're not capturing the audio, Using either whichever microphone or whatever flavor you you happen to like or have, when it comes to mixing, you need to know what what you're listening to is what the masses are going to listen to, um, and certainly, I, I think the NS10 has proved its its place in rock and roll history more than enough times over. And I'll say this, and I know that it's kind of uh, controversial for people to mix on headphones, but. Uh, and a lot of people will say, well, I, you know, I reference on headphones. I have actually been um, spending a little more time uh, mixing on the NS10s, but also I've been using not only my Audio-Technica ATH-M40Xs, which are not the high end of AT's line. It's like the second from the top. And, uh, you know, those are great. But also these Audio-Technica E40 in-ear headphones – I bought for a completely different task and ended up using them um, to listen to music on a daily basis. And one day I thought, oh, I wonder what working on a mix on those would be like. And after working on the mix on these, then going to the 40s, then double checking on the NS10s, uh, I sent the mixes off. And those are the mixes I was talking about earlier mm-hmm. where um, the client was uh, correcting my spelling on some of the song titles rather than correcting my mixes. And they said, everybody seems really happy. Well done, Matt. And I was like, well, shit. Okay, great. Yeah. That brings a whole new um, level to um, mobile mixing because if you can mix on a laptop on your in-ear monitors, you know you can mix anywhere. Yeah, and of course, you know the 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 great uh, the the great Andrew Sheps leads the way for all of us in that he's apparently mixing on his laptop on um, Sony. Um, oh, what are the Sonys that 
are super high indie and very have very little low end information that drives everybody nuts, but they use them. Um, I can't think of the, the, the model. If you out there in podcast land can think of it, uh, put it in the notes below because we are having a brain meltdown. Moment. Yeah. <laughs> but that, yeah. you know, that pair of headphones, that pair of headphones. Yeah. The, the pair that I could think I could name if I had one more cup of coffee under my belt, but I don't. <laughs> Matt, it has been an absolute joy to chat. Um, say, so, and as this is from, this is from a fan, uh, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, it's totally different to it. That, what anybody else out there is doing uh, and you're bringing a really worthwhile service to the industry so so congratulations hats off keep doing what you're doing uh and and, and yeah hopefully keep keep enjoying what you're doing which you obviously are doing uh, i am thank you and thank you for the props there and and right back at you i thoroughly enjoy pro tools expert and all the different production expert uh, uh content that is put out there it's great for me to stay on top of some things that I might not otherwise pay attention to. So whenever I see you, especially after I've met you, I was, you know, I was like, Oh, there's James. Oh, there's a video from James. I'm going to watch that. You know, so it takes on a different uh, take when you've met somebody personally and it was a pleasure to meet you and hang out with you. And uh, it's even better when you put out great content like you do. So thank you for having me on and thanks for producing the content that you do. Uh, well, I think that's enough mutual back scratching for one evening. <laughs> uh, Matt, as I say, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, hope you enjoyed that out there in podcast land. And I hope to talk to you all very, very soon for another podcast extra. Bye.